This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good. But be careful. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Chuck. And I'm Josh. And we're the host of Stuff You Should Know, the podcast. That's right. And if you're into understanding cool and unusual and seemingly ordinary and even boring things that are made interesting, you should check us out. Please and thank you. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, anywhere you get podcasts. Welcome to How Stuff Works Now. I'm your host, Lauren Vogelbaum, a researcher and writer here at How Stuff Works. Every week, I'm bringing you three stories from our team about the weird and wondrous advances we've seen in science, technology, and culture. This week, we've got a trio of watery wonders for you. Some catfish seem to be hunting land mammals, and, hopefully unrelated, uh, cuttlefish have been shown to have a number sense similar to human infants. But first, senior writer Jonathan Strickland explores why China is set to build a state-of-the-art laboratory on the ocean floor. Bloomberg reports that Chinese officials are fast-tracking a plan to build a large underwater platform in the South China Sea. It would be similar to a space station, only this one would be at the bottom of the ocean floor, some 3,000 meters or about 10,000 feet beneath the waves. Why build a sea lab? Well, it's not because they think it's better down where it's wetter. According to Chinese officials, the plan is to build a large, movable facility in an effort to search for valuable minerals and rare earth metals. For the last several years, rare earth metals have played an important part in China's economic growth. Our computers and electronics require these materials, and demand is high. But not everyone is sure that the proposed sea lab would have much luck mining more of them. According to the American Security Project, estimates of rare earth metals in the region are unreliable. They may be plentiful under the ocean floor, or it might be a bust. It may turn out that the sea lab focuses more on harvesting oil and natural gas instead. Another possibility is that the facility will serve in some military capacity. 
Chinese officials deny that a military application is the primary purpose for the Sea Lab, but have said that it could perform some military functions in addition to mining operations. And since the South China Sea is a disputed area that numerous countries wish to access, an underwater lab might be just the thing China needs to secure a claim. It's unlikely such a lab would be able to move about undetected. Instead, it might serve as a deterrent—a threat that says, "Back off! This is mine." Supporting this idea is the fact that China revised passports in 2012 to show a map of China's borders, which included areas that are internationally disputed. And there have been incidents in the region that point to China interfering with the activities of other nations, though the Chinese government denies this was done intentionally. Whatever the motivation, if China builds an underwater lab, it won't be the first. The famous scientist Jacques Cousteau oversaw the construction and deployment of three underwater habitats in the 1960s. Then there's Aquarius, a lab off the Florida Keys that concentrates on marine biology research. You can even book a night stay at a former sea lab. What used to be the La Chalupa Research Laboratory is now the Jules Undersea Lodge in Key Largo, Florida. Whether China will actually build a large underwater lab remains to be seen. If it does, you can bet the international community will keep a close watch on what happens next. Next up, my fellow writer and researcher Christian Sager has the story of how catfish are expanding their gastronomic interests. We already knew that they eat pigeons when the opportunity arises, and now they've added mice to their diets. But why? Remember that scene in the Shark Attack classic *Deep Blue Sea* when Samuel L. Jackson's making a big speech next to a pool, and then a shark leaps out and swallows him whole? I don't know if sharks can really do that, but catfish sure can, according to a recent study in the Journal of Arid Environments. Catfish in Australia have been consuming mice, a lot of mice, and no one knows how. We're specifically talking about the lesser salmon catfish here in the Ashburton River in northern Australia. When researchers cut open 18 of these bad boys, half of them had Spinifex hopping mice in their bellies. This is the first report of Australian catfish eating land-based mammals at this high of a rate. Though previous studies had found similar mammals to be about four percent of the catfish's diet. These lesser salmon catfish are common in northwestern Australia and can weigh just over three pounds and measure more than one and a half feet. They're big enough to qualify as the one that got away, especially if they're full of juicy, juicy mice. Forty-four percent of the 18 fish sampled here had mice in them, and of those, mice made up 95 percent of what was in their tummies. Two of them had. Three mice each inside of them, but they usually eat insects, crustaceans, and plants. Fish-eating terrestrial mammals is possible, but usually infrequent. The hopping mice getting eaten don't usually hang out by the water, and they're good at jumping. So, how are they getting eaten by catfish? Well, one possibility is the catfish are actively hunting mice on a riverbank. It sounds crazy, but. A 2012 study showed that a larger catfish species was beaching itself so it could attack and eat pigeons, even though this stunt risked it being trapped on land. Similarly, African tigerfish will jump up and pull other birds underwater for a meal. In the case of the pigeons, researchers thought it resulted from the catfish adapting to a new environment to survive. Maybe the same thing's happening here. 
Another possibility, and the researchers' best guess, is that last year's extreme summer rainfall flooded the burrows of these mice, pushing them out into the river. Since these floods could be throwing the local ecosystem off balance, the team wants to investigate further to find out exactly what is happening. I know what you're wondering. First pigeons, then mice. Are catfish coming for humans next? Well, the findings suggest that lesser salmon catfish will consume large quantities of land mammals whenever available. But thankfully, we can't fit down their mouths. But still, I'd recommend that you avoid noodling or catfishing with just your hands in Australia. Finally this week, senior writer Robert Lamb explains how a team of researchers sussed out that cuttlefish possess number sense. It's the same basic concept that powers humanity's grasp of mathematics. Yes, cuttlefish are science headline superstars, so you've probably read about their amazing chromatic communication systems, their shape-shifting prowess, and their hypnotic powers. Of course, all of these biological gifts are useless if you don't have the brains to back them up, which is why cuttlefish boast one of the largest brain-to-body size ratios of any invertebrate. These amazing little creatures have to be able to react quickly, learn, and adapt if they wish to score that next meal or secure themselves a mate. That's where our latest study comes into play, pondering just how much number sense they employ in deciding which prey to pursue. Number sense is essentially how the brain naturally extracts numbers from the surrounding environment. I mean, similar to how it identifies colors. It's not math or a number system, but rather the primal thing beneath those systems. To test the number sense of cuttlefish, researchers at Taiwan's Tsinghua University introduced a cuttlefish into a tank, along with a transparent two-chambered box, so that the cuttlefish might choose between two encapsulated meals. In order to assess number sense, they played with varying ratios between the two boxes. One shrimp in box A, five shrimp in box B, and just about every possible variation on that. One to four, two to three, four to five. They even played around with larger shrimp and dead shrimp to see how those conditions factored into their decision making. They tested 54 different pharaoh cuttlefish and found that the creatures had no problem picking larger quantities of shrimp over smaller quantities. This entails logarithmic counting, or counting based on integral increases in physical quantity. A human infant uses this when he or she picks five teddy bears over one teddy bear. But the one-month-old cephalopods here beat that by excelling when the ratios grew harder to discern, such as five shrimp to four shrimp, a feat that larval humans tend to fail at. In fact, the researchers theorized that given the longer computation times in these incidents, the cuttlefish are not only using logarithmic counting, but are actively engaged in counting the shrimp zipping about in each box. The cuttlefish factored in additional preferences. Live shrimp are better than dead shrimp. Bigger shrimp are great, but are riskier to catch. But the creatures can at least count to five, and maybe higher, even if their unlanguaged minds lack words for the quantities. We can scarcely fathom the mind of the cuttlefish. I mean, just try to imagine number comprehension without knowledge or the names and symbols we use. Their intelligence is alien to us, yet quite comparable in number sense to human infants and other primates. So think about that the next time you see a cuttlefish at the aquarium, perhaps counting the number of hairless apes cuddling up to the glass. That's our show for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Subscribe now for more of the latest and strangest science news, and send us links to anything you'd like to hear us cover, plus your favorite fact about cephalopods. 
you can send us an email at nowpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And for lots more stories like these, head on over to our home planet, now.howstuffworks.com. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wooden! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.